Okay, we are here. I'm here at Haro for a podcast with James Ayres. James, how you doing? I'm good, Dale. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Last time we did one was 2018, so three years ago. That's gone pretty quick. I still remember doing it. I know, right? You know, I think last time we talked about uh, your history in BMX, moving to California, getting a job at Snap, you know, your first issue, which was uh, July 1999. Yep. Uh, just a whole bunch of stuff. We talked about the Eric Abadessa interview, the Nora Cup, its history, where it was going or where it's, you know, continuing to, to, to carry on in a different kind of, as it was what we're used to. Um, yeah, and, and obviously a whole bunch of uh, industry talking between all that stuff. So I thought uh, lots happened. You're in the deep of the industry, the sales manager at Haro. So I thought we'd have a little catch up, talk about industry and then maybe finish up with some snap talk. Heck yeah. All right, so obviously a lot of things have changed since last time we talked, you know, with the, the coronavirus and all that stuff, the pandemic, whatever you want to call it, and obviously the bike industry, every time you pick up or listen to a podcast or something, everyone's telling you different stuff. You know, the wild man's very good at uh, keeping us up to date with videos. You see his videos, he goes down on the beach and shows you all the uh, totally all the ships uh, backed up, so you can kind of always see that things are still not getting back to normal. Uh, you told me a little bits and pieces over the, you know, when I come down here, so... Uh, yeah, that's what maybe get your take on uh, everything, you know, maybe like before it happened, during and, and where we are now with the bike world. So it's kind of funny. I can remember the exact day uh, everything went crazy. So my birthday is on March 12th. Um, March 13th, uh, Pete Skoda, our controller slash CFO slash HR guy, sends a company-wide text message out uh, that night saying, hey, guys, uh, shut down this is kind of on a tbd we're still trying to figure out if we're you know going to be considered necessary uh not necessary yada yada but for all intents and purposes everybody like let's keep coming into work and doing our thing so so that the next day that we showed up into work everybody was kind of looking at everybody else going like what what's happening like we, we had no idea and the first couple of weeks i remember there was a we were we were getting phone calls left right and sideways cancel our orders we you know we don't want any of this stuff like we don't know what's going to happen like every preseason every pending order every back order cancel it we're 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 staying put fast forward what i'm guessing was probably 30 days and and everything changed in like the blink of an eye Everybody figured out that, okay, gyms are closed, restaurants are closed, everything's closed, okay, we gotta get outside. And that's when everything just went wild. So I would say that like April, May, June was just this crazy ramp up of order after order after order. Um, And it was so weird because like I said, we had just come off of everybody telling us, you know, cancel, cancel, cancel. And in a very short time period, everything literally changed. Um, so, and don't get me wrong, like those those first six or even eight months, they were unreal. Like, I mean, we were selling clothes out, stuff right and sideways. I mean, bikes that we had been discounting for, I mean, some of those things had been here for like two, three years. So it was great because I think for everybody, um, all of the suppliers got a chance to get healthy with inventory mm-hmm. and, and it was fun. You know, we were selling bikes, everybody was super hyped, but then we kind of got into this period where we ran out of stuff. And then it became this mad scramble to see, okay, how quickly could we get bikes on an assembly line? How quickly could we get replenishment? And what was gnarly was, you know, so much overseas happens when you're face-to-face with somebody. 
you can Skype all day long, you can email all day long, but at the end of the day, um, nothing really changes until you're having a one-on-one conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody could get on a plane. Everything was quarantined. Even if you were able to get on a plane, and even if you were able to get over there, I think it was like, you know, you had to sit in a hotel room for two weeks, you know, while you, you know, did all your testing and stuff yeah. like that. So, so this went from being a very fun ride, and I think for, for everybody, let's just call it what it was, everybody made a ton of money, mm-hmm. shops made a ton of money, uh, we did great, profit margins were good, um, and, and then it just got to the point where, like, everybody was just bummed because we didn't have anything to sell. I mean, I don't know how big that warehouse is down there, but literally empty, <laughs> empty. There were no bikes. And for a company that does like, I mean, let's not fool ourselves. We don't do the kind of volume that <clears throat> any of the big four do. Trek specialized John or Cannondale, but, but we've been known to sell a bike or two in our time mm-hmm. and to literally have nothing to sell was just insane. Mm-hmm. Just insane. I, I've never walked down to that warehouse. In the 14 years I've been here, and it and have literally seen nothing. Every oh. single rack empty. <laughs> so, like I said, the the mood just the mood went from everybody singing and dancing in the streets. Like we ended our fiscal year June thirtieth of twenty twenty, and it was great. Um, really positive news to give to our shareholder group. Um, but but like I said, when when bikes ran out, everybody like nobody wanted to answer the phone. Because it was nothing but bad news after bad news. And the worst part was you've got a whole, you know, we we deal with probably a thousand different shops out there. And when you've just got every one of them begging for, literally, I will take anything that you have. Wow. And you have nothing. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. You think it's a good problem to have at first, but then it just... It, it sucks your soul out of you. Yeah, yeah. So how did it move forward then? When did you kind of start to see... Uh, change or light or I don't uh, it has been very recently so I would say probably like this past summer um, we we went so far as to literally put every bike that we had coming in on an allocation so we would I would go through every territory and I would say okay Southern California you can have this many bikes okay you know New Hampshire Maine Connecticut Rhode Island you can have this many bikes so everything was allocated and I swear if I never hear the word allocation again, I'll, I'll be too happy. Like, I, I think basically we all like selling here. Like, to, to us, selling is fun. Like, I love getting a dealer on the phone and saying, like, hey, you guys buy downtowns, so you should check out this model. Like, it's it, that's fun. But when you're having to tell a dealer, look, I can give you three of these, but I can't give you four. <coughs> like, it's so contradictory to what what I like doing. So literally, you know, we we spent, you know, all of 99% of last year and literally all through summer allocating. You know, you can have three, you can have four, you can have six, blah, blah, blah. Everything started to change for us in October. Um, You know, Wildman's done a great job of telling everybody about how many, you know, containers are sitting (laughs) off the the port right now, um, which is dope. Thank you, Todd. Um, (laughs) By the way, big fan. So October is when the floodgates sort of opened up. Um, We had made the decision, let me rewind for a sec. We had made the decision earlier on to, we've got two warehouses, one here in Vista, California, and the other one that we share with Kenda in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. Well, it was taking so long to get bikes from the Port of Long Beach rail card over to Ohio that we just said, okay, we're we're not shipping anything to Ohio. We'll just bring everything into California and we'll ship from here. So we did that. 
and, and like I said, October was really when things went crazy. I kid you not. So let's just essentially call this December one. Within for in, in a two month window, in a two month window, I bet we have unloaded no less than 50 40 foot containers. Wow. The number of bikes that we have brought in uh, since the beginning of October has been ridiculous. So, but it's so it's been it's been kind of good because in a way like you know we started getting really heavy shipments and then you know basically so did everybody else mm-hmm. because again we all behaved the same way when all this corona stuff uh, started happening and warehouses started emptying out every brand rushed right over to the the factories in Taiwan and China and said you know make me 10 times the amount of this stuff that I've ever bought from you how, how many fa- is only like two or three factories that do everybody right there's well so there's um there are obviously the factories that make like a factory that makes the stems a factory that makes mm. pedals blah 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 but then there are assembly line factories that take all of those smaller parts and run it down their assembly line so for us we have <clears throat> we basically had two factories one making a lot of our entry level kids bike stuff and then another factory making like anything it was like upper end BMX and then anything with like a derailleur. So, you know, and, and admittedly, there was a ton of speculation going on because there were there were certain brands that we were seeing that were able to get bikes to market quicker than others. So, of course, the conspiracy theories start flying. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. oh, that guy went over there with a checkbook and just said, you know, <laughs> you get that off the assembly line and put this on the assembly line, blah, blah, blah. Right. Long story short, it was uh, it, it's only been recently that our inventory has started to get healthy. And truth be told, it's only good on the kids' bike side. So like, coaster brake bikes are good. Um, BMX is good right now. But I think I think for the most part, at least for Haro, we're gonna spend the next year, if not two, chasing anything that's got a derailleur on it. Wow. Because it's trying to get anything out. I mean, I there was one at one point. You know, we were reaching out to Shimano for quotes on their lead times, and they were like 2025. Oh, my God. 2025. Wow. For just an entry-level cheapo crank that you would use on like a $400 mountain bike. Is, is bikes still uh, in fishing bigger than, for Shimano, is fishing bigger than bikes, or it was at one point? That's a great yeah. question. Yeah. Dude or Chad, you got a comment here, buddy. <laughs> I don't know, but I know that... I know that 2025 was what we were being told. Wow. Um, I mean, as little as six months ago for a lot of this. Now, I've also heard that there has been a mass cancellation um, from a lot of the bigger guys uh, because, I mean, literally everybody went in, you know, again, I'll take 10 times the amount of what I... Yeah, then realize maybe we don't need it. Totally. So, and it's been a trickle-down effect. Like, we've we've seen it here firsthand. I mean, I, I can tell you, I don't think this is necessarily confidential information. I mean, we've canceled... I Put it this way, the number of POs that we have canceled um, that, that retailers have had on order with us, it's in the millions. Wow. Yeah. But it's okay... Because, like I said, we we've been chasing trying to fill those for two years now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the good news is, I think BMX is going to be healthy from here on out. You know, we might chase a you know a blackout or something like that, mm-hmm. but but I think for the most part we'll be fine. It's just the the adult bike market um, is still insane. Insane for everybody, obviously, then, right? You know. I'm going to go on a limb here and say, I don't think it is the same for everybody really? because I can, you know, we do business with a chain of stores out of the Houston, Texas market, and they've got mountain bikes on their floor from Cannondale. They've gotten supplied from Marin. They've gotten supplied from a number of, of people. So this is where the whole conspiracy theory comes mm-hmm. back in, you know, how are they getting bikes and we're not? 
and of course, then that goes back to um, the whole uh, spec change stuff that we were trying to figure out. So like, what did we just talk about? We knew that Shimano, you know, had crazy long lead times. If SRAM wasn't an option, then you start looking at brands that you've never heard of before just to get a bike made. Because at the end of the day, I'd rather have something spec'd with like an off-brand group set than not have anything at all. Mm-hmm. We've got a sales rep in like the New Jersey area that's famous for saying, I can sell ugly bikes, I can sell overpriced bikes, but I can't sell no bikes. Right. So mm-hmm. I think this is gonna get real interesting because when when this pipeline does free up, I think there's gonna be a lot of people that come to the table with like MicroShift spec bikes, there'll be some that come to the table with Shimano spec bikes. And the million dollar question right now is, um, we're still not done with price increases, so what's the retail market going to bear? I mean, is Soccer Mom going to be down to walk into a bike shop? And uh, I'm, I'm joking with this number, but is she going to be down to pay $600 for an entry-level, you know, 20-inch, you know, kids-geared mountain bike? Mm-hmm. Probably not so much. I mean, nobody's getting stimulus checks anymore. No. At least I'm not. Right. So it, I, I, think, I think everybody's gotten bikes in stock. A lot of the retailers that I have talked to are loaded to the gills right now. We'll see what Christmas brings, but I mean, bottom line, this is a seasonal business, so things are going to be slow January, February. We'll see what March brings, and all I know is that the first person that goes out on that street with a discount, I'm resurrecting Al Capone, and we're putting a hit out on that. <laughs> yeah. Dan, do you, the industry, uh, let's just talk BMX, uh, do you, when all, all this has been happening and during and, and up to now, do you guys all talk to each other? Do you, do you call other brands and stuff like, hey, this is what I heard, and all you guys, everyone just keeps themselves no totally and that's yeah. been, you know what's kind of cool about the whole bmx market is it i think for a lot of us at least for the bmx segment like everybody's known each other for so long yeah that you know it's totally not uncommon for like our product manager to call like king's product manager or whoever's product manager to say hey mm. are you able to find pivotal seats right now yeah neither are we or hey i got a quote you know for this much on this rim are you getting that quote too Nah, dude, I got quoted $3 less. Okay. Oh, what the? So, yeah, there we definitely compare. Yeah, yeah, which is good. Sure, sure. It helps help everybody helps each other, you know? It, it, I think it helps keep uh, some of the factories a little honest. On yeah, so they BS in it. Yeah, so yeah, I, I could like, imagine. How come this dude is only paying this much and right. being quoted this much? Like, what's good? What gives? Yes, yes, understand. Um, so we just saw the Grands as well, which was obviously huge, nearly a thousand motos, the biggest ever. It seemed like every national this year, uh, was record numbers. Do you think, um, and like we say, even if you're not in the BMX world, you, you can see on the local news that talk about, you know, do all the news all the time, you know, bikes, everyone's on bikes, everyone's riding and stuff. Do you think that's going to drop a lot or do you think, how, how do you feel, um, you know, we're leveling off. Will it still continue to grow? Will be two thousand, you know, two thousand motors at the grounds next year, or do you think, um, yeah, things will get back to where they were before, a couple of years ago? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And I think there is a lot of speculation going on about how many of the people that went out and bought bikes in the last eighteen months are going to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to give credit where credit is due. Everything that I've seen come out of USA BMX. Um, has been pretty dang impressive. So I, I, you know, you read everybody's social media posts. Mm -hmm. I know that there's some things that they might not do great, but I think there's a lot of things they do do great. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't see how, 
Okay, here's how, here's how I would say it. Maybe we don't see kids coming in at the same in the same numbers that they did a year ago, mm-hmm. but I absolutely think it will continue to grow. Yeah. But the million dollar question, and we've talked about this a ton of times before, where are those sales happening? Because I can tell you that like for us, our the the race segment of our business is so small mm-hmm. compared to the freestyle side. Um but like you said, these kids are getting bikes somewhere. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see, like, you know, we they've got more access to to really good retailers. You know, the mail order channel for a race is unbelievable. I mean, Kirk and JNR does a, an amazing job. Source BMX dudes kill it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Dan's is still a major powerhouse. So I don't know. I just I know that we haven't even you know as rider count continues to go up, I couldn't tell you that we've seen like this massive spike in race sales mm-hmm. Go uh, somebody else i was i can't remember i was talking to somebody was saying that the scary thing not was scary but it says what it could happen where all these bikes that everyone's bought all these newbies um they'll all end up on ebay did you hear thoughts on that or do you hear that talk about that think that i've heard the same thing yeah um it's a great great question um i mean there again you've got outlets like have you ever heard of that pros closet place no the pros closet no so they buy uh, a lot of like you know higher end stuff back and 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 they resell it and you know every time i go onto their site you know 486 more bikes added you know since yesterday i mean it's insane wow so you know i don't know what 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 percentage of those people will stay riding what percentage will want to sell um and even even if they don't sell what percentage will want to buy a new bike Mm mm-hmm it's a good question. That's why I, you know, joked about wanting to put a hit on the first person that discounts because if there's one thing this industry needs to come together on, if there's any industry people that are listening to this, I hope you guys agree. <laughs> we do not need model years. Model years do not need to exist in BMX. They certainly don't need to exist in BMX. I would debate whether or not they need to exist in the industry point blank period. I, okay, maybe on a $10,000 carbon wonder bike, mm-hmm. but for the majority, especially for our brand, for the stuff that we sell, a black kid's coaster brake bike, soccer mom could care less. Oh, that's a 2022? Oh, mm. I don't want that 2021 then. It's irrelevant. So again, industry peeps, don't devalue your inventory. If you're sitting on a bunch of stuff, let's just all sit on it together and we'll all sell it at full price together and our retailers will sell it at full price and nobody has to worry about discounting or any of that stuff. So the minute somebody discounts, then you all have to do it or you all kind of it, it, tell them off? <laughs> there's the, maybe a bit of both. Um, you're certainly asking the question, especially in, in what we've just gone through over the past two years, like why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Especially when again we keep hearing about more price increases coming so material shortages uh it's costing us more to buy aluminum it's costing us more to buy um raw steel so discounting things that you've already paid too much money for to begin with i i don't know i don't know why you why you would i mean unless you're cash strapped or or something but i guess that's kind of the other thing is I, i have long since believed that there are far too many brands in in this in this pond mm-hmm. and i'm shocked that that more have it and it's it, i don't i don't say that like wishing anything bad on you know you know our our you know our brethren but at the same time like the the number of retailers in the country is shrinking mm-hmm. more and more shops are getting bought by uh trek or specialized or whoever and they're turning into concept stores so the ibd the independent bicycle dealer 
those dudes, like, they've got so many choices out there right now when it comes to which brands they want to carry. So I don't know. I guess the point of all my babbling is I would have thought for sure that we would have seen um, some of the players leave the landscape, but doesn't look like that's happened. No. See, I was looking at some of the videos and stuff from the grounds. It seemed like sort of a bunch of new ones as well again. Right. You know, so, that, that, uh, and, and, that's, and I think that extends to, like, you know, we were talking earlier uh, about e-bikes. The number of direct-to-consumer e-bike brands that seem to have popped up during this whole pandemic thing has been, like, you hear, flavor of the month. Mm-hmm. Aventon and Batch and Rad Power and, like, so many different players that you're kind of wondering, like, where did these guys even come from? And then, more importantly, you're asking yourself, how the heck did they get parts to, you know, even build the darn things? Yeah. So, so it's been crazy. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's definitely different times. How do you forecast uh, or, or see the the future? Again, we'll keep it, keep it BMX, keep it less complicated. Um, you know, like say you were just saying earlier about bike shops and stuff, do you think they'll eventually just all be gone or just turn to, like you said, they'll get bought out or will, will they ever be like a, you know, a, a BMX pro shop? You know, I guess there is, a, you know, you've got Tangent, a few of those guys that you see on the race scene, but will that get smaller and smaller, do you think? Again, that's a great question yeah. with, with, I mean, let's, what do we know? We know that consumer buying patterns are changing. <clears throat> Everybody wants to buy stuff online. Mm-hmm. I think the days of getting in your car on a Saturday morning, driving to a store, parking in the parking lot, putting on your mask, walking in, standing yeah. in line, fighting the crowds. Nobody wants to do that. No. So it's funny. I was actually having a conversation with um, Dan Serkin out in Ohio. He owns a shop called Solon, uh, Solon Bicycles. And we were talking about the whole D to C, direct to consumer. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I think everybody, I know everybody in these four walls still believes in the value of a good bike shop. Um, they bring a ton of value to the table, not just in like knowing how to size somebody, but but really the more important thing is like telling our story. So I don't, but the reality is it's getting tougher and tougher for IBDs to, to stay alive. Mm-hmm. You know, brick and mortar retail space, it, not the cheapest thing in the world, especially when you're talking about rent and some, I mean, could you imagine having a bike shop on PCH right now? Yeah, it'd be, be crazy. crazy. So I don't think, nobody's going to stop um, consumers continuing to want to buy online. I think the million dollar question is how can you integrate your retail partner into that sale so that they're again a partner mm-hmm. rather than because the last thing anybody wants to do is be predatory to the food source that's been you know feeding you for the last 20 30 40 years right but i don't know it you know for the number of kids that are going to be coming in it, it definitely seems like it's it's a revolving door mm-hmm. i mean like in our day we raced the same group of dudes for 20 years in a row and you know, even with my time at like Snap, you know, I could see like the same group of kids racing each other for four or five years. But even back then, it was kind of starting to change. So and I don't I don't think that's it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like getting new kids in is great. I, I think that the challenge for everybody is, you know, it's the same challenge that we've been talking about for 20 years. How do we not so much how do we get them in, but how do we keep them in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always been that. Uh, I don't know what the current one that always say it was a two year window. Uh, you know, in and racing and then out. I, that was quite a while ago, so I don't know if there's a new a new model or new thoughts on that since. But yeah, yeah no, it's definitely, it seems like they're very good at um, very good at getting new kids to do it, but if you could obviously sustain some of those as well, yeah. the numbers would really be... Uh... I thought it was super cool, the stuff that they were doing with the, um, the timers. Right. 
And because I think they had one like, I mean, I, I kind of equate it back to like uh, whole shot awards. Mm-hmm. But like having that that timer and like, you know, who gets the first jump first, stuff like that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, that was kind of interesting to me. Yeah. yeah I got yeah. sucked into those. those stats oh, you did. See, see I don't, I'm ranked. not into that stuff too oh, much. I was super no, into no. it. It's, I, I can tell whether, even though with, with, with how they're starting to use that kind of stuff, like even when I went, I went to England uh, over the summer and I, I went to do a local race on my local track and I couldn't, like, I was trying to sign up and it's like, I couldn't, like, you can't just show up Sunday, you had to hop online. But what I liked it, you got to, you had to go online and then you register, but you can see who else has registered. So, like, I raced the old guys, you can see, you know, you go in there on Saturday night, okay, is there enough guys for me to actually go down there and, and race? You can oh, say, okay, there's cool. six or seven guys, okay, I'm in, I'll, and do it. And then you get a transponder. And it's so different now, but yeah, the way they're bringing technology in, I think it's more in Europe, but I think it's slowly starting to come out here as well. Like, see, seeing some of that, some of the stuff they're using at the Grands, you know? I think that's super rad because, mm. like, what I'll look at is, like, you know, okay, I think George killed it, but mm. then you've got, like, you know, your second, third, fourth place guys that were that slotted in with those times, mm-hmm. but where were they come main time? Yeah. And that's always the stuff that, like, okay, you're great at being a one lap wonder. Right. But when you've got to ride in the pack, or it's you're, yeah. you're banging with six or seven other dudes. Yeah, it's a little I don't different. Know, that, that, that one, I thought that was cool. What did you, uh, as, as talking grand then, what did you think Joris winning his uh, fourth title? So he equaled Pistol Pete, Gary Ellis on the uh, all-time um, USA BMX ABA Cup. So what's your thoughts on that? Uh, that that guy's amazing. It is an absolute joy to watch that, that guy ride. I mean, I just think about... We were we came up with Randy and Kyle and all those dudes and I thought like there's no way there's no way those dudes can get any faster mm-hmm. and then you watch Connor come out and in that whole slew of of what I would consider to be like well I mean they're, they're new kids to me mm-hmm. new guys to me like the Olympic era yeah mm. yeah and and it's just it's insane I mean I don't see how anybody can say that BMX hasn't changed. To me, it is, it's mm-hmm. light years different than what it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, even 10 years mm-hmm. ago, it's really, yeah. I think it's gone in a great direction. So, yeah, but it's like kind of like we were talking about earlier. It's still weird to me to think when I think of goats, it's those dudes. I know. It's Pistol, know. it's Gary. Yeah. It, you know, and, and you could even say, you know, do you talk about Greg? Do you talk about Stu? Yeah. With this, but I guess that's our perspective. Because that's what we grew up with. You've almost got to now, I think, when you see all the GOAT debates, and they're always fun to be, you know, just, just a talk. Like you've almost got to put them into eras now. It's yeah. like, it's uh, like I say, it's like you, even that when we, we know, on and off over the years, we've done it in podcasts and on, on social media, we've done little GOAT talks and stuff. And then, and then somebody will come in, like Byron Friday or somebody will come in from there, like, hey, you guys didn't know about David Clinton and some of the stuff, obviously, Stu. Like, we all know Stu, but the stuff he won and, obviously hill a little bit after that so you got to be careful who you're when you're debating it offending people as well you know it's like i see the new school guys now saying you know joris is it which is definitely debate you know i think his name's in the conversation now joris but they're saying certain names even in the in the in the olympic era like say from they'll say goat meaning from 2008 to right. now, you know, it's like they don't even go back a few years early with Bubba and never mind the 90s or and then obviously 80s and 70s before that. So I think totally. everyone's got their own their own goats almost, you know, in their era, it seems like, you know, as the sport continues to get older, you know. Absolutely. It cracks me up that 
at least the, the conversations that I've been a part of, you know the one name that, that doesn't get brought up enough? And this dude, this dude won for years on end. I'm not going to say he had the dopest style. And he definitely was, was super opinionated and had his own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. But how do you not talk about Jackal? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I would definitely put his name in the hat. You know, my era, I mean, I, the fastest guys in my era when I was right, it's like Jackal and Lebeckham at the two for me. Totally. You know, obviously there's different years when Thomas came in later on and Stumpy a bit later on. Well, no, Stumpy was there kind of the same time as, as me, a little bit after um, Danny Nelson. But yep. when you think 90s, you think, uh, I do at least, I think, uh, you think kind of the tail end of Gary Ellis and then you think Jackal and, and Levesque, you know, I, I think they're the, the two top of my era, you know, so. And it's also, yeah, there's a lot of it's down to who's ta- tooting their own horn on social media as well. That's true. I think a lot of people, especially the 90s guys, I know um, a lot of, the, you know, Chris, you don't see Christoph on Facebook talking about his old stuff. You, you'll right. see that he'll be on there once a month to talk about Trump or something, but it, or have a little, <laughs> have a little ram. But a lot of those guys purse the same. They're, nobody's really talking about themselves where you know a lot you know a lot about a lot of certain writers right. because they're on facebook posting a lot you know right. so um yeah no i mean jackal absolutely i mean still has got the biggest wins i think got like 48 wins in a year or something yeah or, uh, i i think doesn't he also hold the record for like most mains made or something i'm not sure i'm sure he does though yeah him yeah. and gary are right up there on that all time i know gork does that um he puts he hasn't put it out for a few years it'd be good if he actually did it when he puts out yeah most wins and and titles but he's even then that's always been a bit more aba usa bmx right uh influenced i think you know i mean you can see some of the nbl guys on there when that stuff comes up like hey what about blah 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 blah, blah. you know so all valid points as well you know so that, that's definitely one of the things that i missed the most like it was I, th- I think it was good when usa bmx came in because I mean, we talked about it forever, the conflicting schedules. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll never forget the weekend that me, Mulligan, and Colin Stiles did day one in Phoenix and then drove to Nellis for right. NBL Sunday or something like that. Yeah. So, like, that was good because you guys were racing, I mean, what? 30, 40 times a year. Yeah, right. weekends, yeah. Well, at least I was, yeah. I think I remember, like, Brian Foster did an interview about, like, how he showed up in the airport and he's like... You know, I'm I'm in Missouri. Right, didn't even know where it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't even get here. Right. So I I think not having the conflicting schedules is good, but but I remember there were so many good rivalries between ABA kids and NBL kids. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the the year? <clears throat> um, I think it was like 15x when Bubble was still an amateur, and there was that Florida kid, C.J. McGuire. He was good, yeah, Super yeah. Super good. Yeah. Like, C.J. never lost an NBL race, mm-hmm. and Bubble was killing And he talked crap as well, right? Didn't he talk? Totally. He's like, come on over, let's race. Or something. Right. Yeah. And the big, yeah. the big thing was supposed to be like, they're both going to go to South Park. And right. I remember, like, thinking, like, oh, man, 15X in South Park is yeah. going to go off. Like, it's going to mm. be crazy. And, and for whatever reason, like, I don't know if, I don't know if, Bubba didn't make it out or CJ didn't make it out, but but it never wound up happening. But I always appreciated those rivals because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think for the most part, I think for the most part, you could take your best NBL kid and fly him out to an ABA race and with a very, very, very few exceptions, dude was going to get waxed. Yeah, yeah. Because ABA kids were just yes that much better. Them amateur. I mean, you watch any... Amateur, I mean, I'm sure eight is unbelievable because that's what you see in the magazines, but just everybody in the West Coast or just 12X onwards, or even before, they're just factory and names that you already knew. It's like, I couldn't tell you who won 12X at the Grands. 
you know, a couple of weeks ago or even 14s, 15s, 16s, 17s. But I, I remember all those names. Yeah. And uh, yeah, then you go to when it was, you know, GT would have three or four guys on the gate, Haro, you know, then you'd have the Haro Florida team that you did with Prince at the time. Right. So sometimes it'd be a Haro GT gate and maybe Brandon Meadows in the middle, you know? So Dude, yeah, yeah. AB yeah. Phoenix. That yeah. was exactly what that was. Like right. 17 and over open. I right. think it was like Shanahan and Hernandez Liraldi. and Brandon and Liraldi, yep. And, and Brandon was, I think that was when he was still on Herda. Right. And and Mike Brandt. I mean. Mike Brandt's another one. Yeah, yeah. Florida yeah. Guy. I mean, it, yeah, that was. That, oh. I, I think some of the amateur racing I watched back in the day. Like, yeah. And I would still go on record um, to say that 1987 ABA Grands, 17 and over open. I'm going on record and saying it right now. You watch those videos. I would be willing to bet that 17 and over King open. King and Carter. King, Carter, Tanette, Darwin Griffin. Yes. Um, Townsend even then, right? Was he just pro turn pro? He, He'd no. already gone pro. He'd already gone pro. He had already gone pro. Yeah. But I I would put money that that, that gate of eight, those 17 and over dudes that made that main, mm-hmm. just as fast as double A. Yeah. Well, I mean, King was number, didn't King go from amateur number one to pro number one within 88, 89? He did. Yeah. So who was the other, who was the only other guy to do that? Okay, Clip. <laughs> Big Mac. <laughs> yes! Really? <Yeah. laughs> That's awesome. I mean, think about that. Yeah, yeah. You, national number one amateur, yeah. you turn pro. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that's only been And done. Big Mac had come back from a long, like, Big Mac raced in the 80s and then took a big period of time off. Came back, that, I, I know Big Mac because that's when I first, not first, but I was in California when he was kind of on his uproar, you know, as an amateur and then into pro. So I, I kind of saw all that, but... He took a long time off, came back to BMX in, you know, 18 and over, whatever, got on Mongoose, won the title. Was it Mongoose or was it Diamondback? I think Diamondback was after. It could have been oh. either Diamondback or Mongoose. Anyway, yeah. won the amateur title, then obviously went on to win the pro in 96, I think it was. Yeah, 96, so 95, 96. Yeah. So when it was him and Ellis, Ellis crashed in the semi, which then, or oh, did he crash in? Anyway, it was between Ellis and Big Mac, and, yeah. and Big Mac got it, so... Yeah, yeah, crazy. Is there somebody else? Mike King? Richie Anderson? No, not Richie Anderson. No, I think those are the only two riders that have ever done it. So Mike King and Big Mac? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think we're ever going to see that again. No, no, absolutely no way. I, yeah. I I think the question is going to be, you know, I would love to know, you know, I saw Connor did a little blurb in the latest issue of Pull, you Mm -hmm. know, talking about, um, is he going to come back for one more year? Mm-hmm. Which I really hope he does because mm-hmm. watching those time trials or qualifying in the Olympics, mm-hmm. I've never seen another dude's legs move as fast as his did. Mm-hmm. And like he was just, in my opinion, like considerably better than everybody he got on the gate with. So I, I hope he does come back because I think the million dollar question, if he doesn't, who's the next USA guy to step up? Yeah, I think I, I it's, I think it's going to be a while, you know? <laughs> I, I do too. I mean, I, I, I think Cameron's been on a run for sure. Mm-hmm. I think he just moved to Florida. And there was something, uh, there was something in that issue of poll that, you know, somebody had, the opening sentence of a, of a thing was like, Florida's the new California. There, I said it. Right. I haven't read the whole thing well, yet. Well, a lot of the pros live down there now. Yeah, there's kind of, Dominguez, uh, also a bunch of pros down there, the trains and stuff. So there's there's a whole crew down there. And oh, really? Yeah, they do the Florida State. So it does make sense to be there if you're a, a pro. I mean, I was, I was say it was the Grands on the week after the, I, I was seen on Instagram, there's a pro race in Florida, you know, so the 
them guys are regular racing so yeah. it does uh yeah if you if you are a kind of a guy at the moment it's probably a good spot to be you know it's almost like florida's become the remember when um when uh mira was living in greenville and everybody was, moved there yeah pro town usa yeah yeah but it's almost like what florida's becoming and it's like huntington beach when we all went there you yeah, know yeah, totally it's like it's uh even the 2000s um when our era died off like i was one of the last few guys in huntington beach from my you know i'm like and i needed a change and stuff so i went to temecula and then there was kind of a scene happening there or starting to happen then then you got like mark willis and kaylin young and uh so it kind of got a good little you know lake paris got taken over and, and the track got redone and so there's a good scene there for a while um but yeah it seems like then he went to san diego for the last you know since the olympics it's been in san diego but let's say it seems like it shifted to to Florida now, at least in the pro pro scene, you know. Right, so. and man, kudos to Tyler Brown for everything that he's been doing with that the yeah, yeah. program. I mean, every time he does a, a post like that, track looks awesome. Yeah, it's com- always continuing to uh, upgrade and and just make the facility really nice, you know. Yeah. So it's a nice place to yeah, family family day out at the track, you know. It's it's, it's getting to a really good spot and so uh, good. yeah, the scene's continuing to grow and the camps for what Tyler's doing and I'm doing, it's like it's I just had my best year of, of camps and numbers. So it seems like yeah, it's interesting times. It'd be interesting to see if it continues to grow or it will level out or or go back down, you know? Yeah. I mean it I, I think I think everybody is it, it feels like life is kind of starting to get back to sort of normal, I guess. I mean like gyms are open again and Yeah, yeah. I mean it's a little crazy that you got to show a, a vaccination card to get into some restaurants, but mm. hey, man, at least the restaurants are open. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I've been it. acting like normal for I, you know, only time is <laughs> the only time I don't when is when I'm talking about it or I hop on the news or you see in England or Australia. It seems like it's still a pretty bad down there. You know, you see yeah. guys pretty locked up and stuff. But um, let's you know why you're here. Obviously, let's talk snap because we all, me and you love to talk about that stuff. Uh, tell us a few good snap stories then. Anything, anything. Uh, Good years of snap. Like you said in the first podcast uh, we did three years ago, you started in 1999. You moved out to California. You got the job at Snap and BMX Business News. Yeah. Ride. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of the thick of it, you know, that when, when the industry was booming and sponsorship and pro racing and traveling and, uh, yeah, any more good stories from that you can bring up. Man, so many good stories. Those are those are the funnest, uh, I think those are probably the funnest seven years of my life. Um, so one of the ones that, there's a ton of good stories. Some of them you can tell, some of them you can't tell. Um, and we'll just, you know what, it's a podcast, so we'll tell some of the ones we can't tell. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, if there's anybody that remembers the magazine, you know, we obviously did interviews, we obviously did bike tests. Um, you know, we would sometimes get uh, invites from companies to do product launches. And, you know, so usually that was a thing where, like, <clears throat> you know, you come out, you go visit the company or the company comes to comes to you and like they show you their latest, you know, whatever it is, bars, pedals, blah, blah, blah. It, and that was always cool. But most of the time they were, I remember them being like kind of stiff. Mm-hmm. The times that they weren't stiff. So shout out to, to TC, to Billy Griggs, when they debuted the GT Ultrabox frame set, hands down. And Keith, I'm sure you would agree, the dopest product launch I've ever been a part of. So those two dudes rolled up to Snap at probably, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning. By 11, we're over at Mr. J's strip club. They've got the frame like all blanketed up so you don't know what what it's looking like. You know, we have a dope lunch, everything's good. They unveil the frame and it was just, if if you were ever gonna be a part of a product launch and you were thinking to yourself like, man, I don't know if this is gonna be cool. 
Billion TC, hands down, the dopest <laughs> one I've ever been a part of. That thing was freaking awesome. And whether you loved the frame or you hated the frame, you like I guarantee everybody that was a part of that day remembers that day. So that was definitely one of the things that, that comes to mind. You know, the bike. I test. bet Keith's got some good pictures. I, I know I got a couple snaps from there from my Polaroid, but I bet Keith's got a full photo shoot from there, right? Man, there Keith has got photos of things. Yeah. I've been to his house. He's got all the filing cabinets with all the like. His, he's got the names like yeah. his, his, the Dale Holmes file, and he's got stuff with with me. And I'm, I'm mad. Love it. I was like, Keith, I need to just come back here and one one day and leave me here and just let me have fun, you know? Yeah. But. I mean, the amount, everybody always talks about like the amount of history that were in the file cabinets that, you know, BMX Action had. And no doubt, I mean, encyclopedias worth, I mean, mm-hmm. tons. But I mean, I bet, you know, between Brad and Keith and Losey, uh-huh. I mean, the photo, the photos that those dudes between the three of them took, mm-hmm. I mean, like we were talking about eras, you know, early 90s through mid 2000s i guess i mean yeah it it yeah i hopefully we hopefully we get to see a lot of this stuff again you know even in england where we're, we're getting a little bit more organized we're setting up a hall of fame and stuff and we're to the point now where a lot of the guys from the early days that shot pictures obviously they're getting old we're, we're old so right. obviously our parents age and stuff uh, it's like and, and a lot of them are removed from bmx for decades now and it's like somehow we need to get get in touch with a few of these people or their families so some of these archives are not really lost you know and it's like like the story about bmx action right weren't there some of them were, a lot of them were trashed or something and... yeah that was the rumor mm. in and i chris moeller could probably confirm this yeah. the rumor was that bob osborne got so disenchanted with how everything was going down that he literally just photo file cabinets of photos just straight out to the dumpster just didn't even give it a second thought like wash his hands of it whether or not that actually happened i i have a feeling that it probably did because i think chris has done some interviews where he said he might have rescued some of some of that stuff but yeah it's that's why i'm saying like there there are people that like absolutely positively must write a book yeah i can't wait to read the richard long book right that's gonna be awesome yeah but Mike Redman, mm-hmm. you need to write a book because <laughs> yeah. the stories Redman could tell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You get you get him mm-hmm. and Pistol in the same room. Right. Yeah. Those stories would be legendary. Yeah. I always say like if I was stranded on a on an island and right. I could only bring like three people to tell stories, mm-hmm. I'd bring Moeller, mm-hmm. I'd bring John Paul Rogers, mm-hmm. and I'd bring Redman. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. between those three, mm-hmm. the the shit talk would be unbelievable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So good. Yeah. No. So good. Well, luckily, like I say, Keith seems like he's organized and, and, and on top of everything. So I'm sure his stuff will be seen again at some point. You know? I hope so. If if he, I would love to see him do like, um, I, and I think I think Jared Sowney might have done one, like a, a book mm-hmm. of some of his favorite photos. Because like Keith shot so many different things, like amazing race photos. His yeah. trail photos were amazing. So yeah, I mean that that would be awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like you got to preserve that yeah. that history, and like say, as we get older, the the, the people that shot us when we were younger and, and and before even before our time, it's like they're really getting old, and obviously a lot of them are not even with us anymore. So yeah. uh, we don't want to lose the history, you know. Exactly. So it's a big uh, thing that we're working on in England at the moment, so that doesn't happen, you know. Um, all right, before we wrap it up, I mean, again, uh, we're talking about Snap Media and stuff um obviously social media now how much do you follow that now do you are you kind of i follow a lot of the dudes from like our our time yeah yeah um yeah gosh i'm trying to think like um if you were still doing snap now 
so you would be obviously social media, Instagram and all that stuff. Right. Would that be still as that? Because I know you're very passionate about everything you do and that. Would you, do you think that'd be different kind of feeling and thought working compared to like magazines and... It, it would it would absolutely be different because no doubt about it, like there was something special about getting a first bound issue. Yeah. You know, when like Magoo or Bill Bryant would like bring it over and you get to hold something that you've been working on all month long. Like <clears throat> you, you can't replicate that feeling with a web post. Right. And that's not to like, but I think the flip side of that would be the like, so you're, you're, you're super hyped on something that you get once a month, mm-hmm. but with social media, you can be hyped on stuff. Okay, maybe not to that extent, but it's going to come a lot faster. So yeah, I mean, I think I remember as that transition was starting to happen and we were starting to get <clears throat> the website um, online and <clears throat> everybody was just scanning photos left, right, and sideways. I remember thinking like, because we were trying to build an archive back then. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, this is great to look at from from a historical point, but if you could do this in like real time, and that was kind of the, the thing with magazines was, you know, of course you're going to get a magazine and it talks about a race that happened, you know, three months ago. Yeah. It, you know, results aren't even remotely relevant anymore. No. But no, I, it would be a different, it would be a different thing, but I don't think different necessarily equates to bad. No, no, just, just different good. times, isn't it? Yeah, I think you could even, again, another project for you and Keith if you're bored, you know. Uh, <laughs> you just even snap, you could do a whole thing, you know, documentary, a archive a website i'm sure neither of you need anything extra to do but just just <laughs> crazy you know thoughts in your head just you've got a whole history thing just in that you know so it started in 93 94 snap i i, I oh here we go this is the first issue i bought it because oh, yeah, 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 yeah. i bought it yeah so it said that, that's the world's issue which is 94 in uh detroit so the date on this is uh, volume one, issue one. It's got a uh, on horror. Billy Griggs on horror. Man. On the cover and uh, the date is Steve Budendek, the editor. Eric Carter interview. Oh, I'm so sure good. this is the world's issue anyway, or one of the. So I think it's around '94 anyway. So there's no dates on this for that really. That feels about right. Ninety three, ninety four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's ninety four. So Detroit, uh, nineteen ninety four, UCI Worlds. So um, I'm going to say like even when did Snap end? That would have been so. Trans World would have come on like two thousand four ish. Um. It's a way over ten years then. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So there's a lot of history right there, isn't there? Yeah. So. Yeah. Man. Cool. That's crazy. I love I love looking back at, at yeah. especially first issues. I still think one of the first one is still, I mean, for a racist perspective, you know, it's like it, you got Detroit World, you got Eric Carter in the view, Jason Richardson. Cruiser counts. Yeah, cruiser counts. Neil Wood S&M ad. I mean, Alan Foster Look ad, Eric that. Carter ad. It's Man. like, it's obviously things were really healthy here, you know, Long Island, um, scene report. Yeah, good times, good times. So good. All right. Well, I appreciate it, James. I know I'll let you get back to work and uh, it's good chatting. Thanks for the update on uh, on the industry. So I'm always in, say, I come down here and you tell me a little bits and pieces what's going on with the, you know, the whole bike <laughs> thing. So it's pretty cool to finally put it, you know, a lot together in a podcast and yeah. uh, share the story. Cool. cool. Any last thoughts? Anything else? No, all good. Let's, uh, let's bring some magazines out and do this again. I know. Definitely. Yeah. We should bring some video and definitely go through some stuff. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, James. See you, Dale. See ya.